Welcome back to Resball, where today we are going to talk about Alexander Saar finally getting back to our NBA draft coverage, which we've taken a lot of break from for a while to get into the film, watching a lot of new freshmen, including Alexander Saar, who we're going to talk about today. And his game being a little bit more theoretical than I think people are saying and breaking down the film and saying why. Let's get started right now. Yeah, thank you so much for listening to us today. We are going to break down Alexander Saar, the French big man who's playing down for the Perth Wildcats down under in Australia in the NBL down there. I just want to preface this by saying I get why Alexander Saar is rated highly. I'm going to end there with I, I understand the potential, but I do want to do this podcast and really go into the areas that I think Alexander Saar needs to work on. And the questions that I still have, because I have seen some things put out there of like, well, he's answered a lot of questions. I don't think so. I think his play has warranted more questions than answered when I've looked at his game going all the way back from OTE into the exhibition stuff with the G League Ignite onto the NBL Blitz and now 10 games into the NBL season. I think Alexander Saar's play has warranted more questions than answers. This episode might be a little bit more stat heavy than I like to do, but it's for a purpose. I'm going to throw a lot of Alexander Starr stats at you, but it's because of what I just said. Going back to the OTE where he played there last year with the Thompson Twins, Itzan Almanza, Rob Dillingham, a bunch of other dudes. We have stats and data points from there. Then over in the G League showcase, the two games that Perth did play against the G League, Ignite against top guys like, you know, Ron Holland. Maras Buzelas, his old buddy, Ethan Almanza, Tyler Smith, all those guys there. And then they had the NBL Blitz, which is a showcase three game thing in the beginning of the NBL season, just to get out there, pretty much give everybody minutes to showcase their abilities. And then into the regular season with the NBL, where those are the games that everybody's scrapping for, trying to get the title. Again, it's going to be stat heavy, but the purpose is, okay, look at all these different levels of competition. Oh, and by the way, I see there's so many of them. I forgot. There's the FIBA stats too. Uh, Alexander Starr played in the FIBA U18s, U19s this past summer in between OTE and the G League Ignite Showcase with Perth. So there's going to be a lot of stats. Um, yeah, I don't like to overload with numbers, but there's going to be a point to it. So let's get into the basic stats so far in the NBL. 10 games into this NBL season in the 2023-2024 season, Alexander Starr has amassed 9.1 points per game, pulled in 4.9 rebounds, has 0.8 assists per game, 0.4 steals per game, 1.0 blocks per game. And the shooting splits for Alexander Saar are 54.9% from two-point range, 30.4% from three-point range, and then 51.9% from that free throw line. Those are Alexander Saar's stats from 10 games so far in the NBL. Alexander Saar is listed at seven foot one, two hundred and twenty-four pounds on the basketball reference page. He's listed Alexander Saar at seven foot one, two hundred and five pounds. 
on the real GM page. And, you know, I tried to look at the, the actual stats and the weights and the heights on the uh, NBL ones, but it's in kilometers and, and kilograms and I'm a dumb American. So my bad there. I can give you those as well. So he is listed at 216 centimeters for his height on the NBL's website and 98 kilograms for his weight. The other ones to consider is back at OTE. His pages still list him at 71217 pounds. And then to further complicate things, the FIBA page for the French team from this past U19 uh, NBA or FIBA, excuse me, the U19 FIBA tournament this past summer lists him at 213 centimeters, which is seven feet. So we'll find out what his exact measurements is. The weight seems to have fluctuated to, I don't know which one is the realest. 207, 210 seems about right to me because he is a little bit skinny. And I think that's part. I don't think it's the 224 only because my number one thing with Alex R is I am very concerned for his physicality on both ends of the court. There have been multiple times in multiple games where Alex R will get the ball, he will drive in, and then he will get stopped when somebody meets him in the paint. Keep an eye on that on film study. I'm going to give you a couple examples in the most recent games that Alexander Sar has played. Two games ago against Melbourne United, where the Perth Wildcats did end up winning that game. Alex Gar scored 17 points in that game, too. So it seems like it was a good game. Well, at the end of regulation in that game, Alex Starr had a chance to win it on both ends of the court. He gets the ball down low, point blank range at the rim to get a dunk to seal it, but he gets blocked. He cannot get through the Melbourne United defender, the center there. So turn the ball over. It goes over to the other side. Matthew Della Vadova, Delhi, former NBA point guard, former Cleveland Cavalier world champion, gets the ball on the other end, drives baseline. Meets Alex Sar at the rim. He goes up for it. Alex Sar goes up for it. How does it end? It ends with Della Vadova doing a reverse layup around Sar to tie the game and send it into overtime. That's worrisome there. More worrisome. I mean, you might just be like, well, it's one game, it's two plays or whatever. And he had 17 points in that game. I believe he had like 10 rebounds in that game as well. If my memory serves me correctly. So let me look at it again. You have 17 points, six rebounds, one steal, one block. You think, hey, that's a pretty good stat line. Yeah, but it was also basically against the backups for Melbourne United as their front court of Ariel Hook Porty, who is also a draft prospect himself, was hurt in that game, tried to power through it, but ended up not being able to finish. Luke Travers was former NBA prospect guy. Another dude who got hurt in that game. And oh, by the way, Melbourne United also lost one of their leading scorers in Ian Clark, the guard in that game. So uh, those stats do have to come with that caveat of like, okay, yeah, Sar still put up numbers, but he was doing this basically against the backups for most of the game. And he couldn't finish over the backup there at point blank range at the rim. And then Delhi took advantage of him to just not be able to protect the rim there at the end and send it into overtime. It's worrisome. More worrisome to me is the most recent game that Alex Soares played on November 10th, 2023 against the New Zealand Breakers, who are tied for the worst record in the NBL. 
where Alex Zard played his least amount of minutes. And really, he had two really bad plays in there where Finn Delaney basically did the same move that Del Vadova did on him, where he drives baseline, draws Sar in to try and get a block. But Sar goes up and jumps, and Delaney goes around and under him for that reverse layup. And then the other play in that is Parker Jackson Cartwright. Gets a, an offensive rebound there with about 31.6 left in the third quarter. He goes up for it and he makes Sar draw contact and get a foul. And Sar got yanked there the rest of the way. This isn't a game where Perth was pretty much winning the whole time. They're up something like 20 in the fourth quarter. The coach pretty much left all the starters in. And Sar just never sniffed the court again after that really bad foul. Why am I making a big deal out of this? Well, for one thing, if you know Del Vadova, he's not the most athletic guy. He's like 6'4", 200. This is somebody that shouldn't be finishing through Sar. The other guys that I just mentioned on New Zealand, Finn Delaney, 6'7", 225. Again, not the most athletic dude. And why, why, why would... Um, Alex Sar get yanked against this, you know, offensive rebound. Parker Jackson Cartwright. Parker Jackson Cartwright is five foot 11, 170 pounds. I mean, you can't let that guy get a rebound over you. You can't let that guy go up and sucker you in to that foul. When you're seven foot one, like even if you're seven one, two oh five, all you got to do is just stand there, put your hands up and make him shoot over you. You do not need to lunge and go after this guy. It's frustrating. And if you need another thing in the, you know, what about his physicality? And my, I'm questioning Alex Sar's physicality. Alex Sar's third on the Perth Bobcats in rebounds, in total rebounds. That's not bad. I'm not saying that's bad. He's beyond Keanu Pinder and Christian Doolittle, both front court players. And both guys have played more minutes than Alex Sar. So they should be getting more rebounds than Alex Sar. But on the offensive glass, Alexander is fourth. Again, behind Doolittle and Keanu Pinder. The third leading defensive rebounder is Bryce Cotton. Bryce Cotton is six foot one and 165 pounds. I know there's a minutes disparity between the two, but to me, that's that's worrisome, man. That seven foot one is still getting out rebounded on the defensive class versus the six foot one guy. And those 49 total rebounds for SAR, 19 of them come from on the offensive glass, which any and uh, any NBA draft guy will be like, man, I know if somebody crashes the offensive glass very well, it's something to put in the scouting profile. But just with the way the NBA is played, I don't really know how much to put into that. And again, look at the way these rebounds are coming. I, I don't see Sar rebounding in his area as much as he should. What I mean by rebounding in his area, I mean, he's the center. He's the power forward. He's normally the one under the basket. He's normally the one in the paint. Notice where his rebounds come from when he's in the paint or under the basket. And there's another defender, another offensive guy, a body on him. He does not secure that many rebounds. And I think that's why you see something like the 32 rebounds to Alexander Sars, 30 versus Bryce Cotton, six foot one guy and seven foot. Like his physicality is just not there. He's getting stood up when he drives in, gets stopped in the paint a lot of times. He just cannot block shots against bigger dudes a lot of times. He can't get a shot off over guys that are stronger. And then 
this on the rebound like he doesn't rebound in his area. He does do good things on the rebounding and, and crashing the glass. I'll get to that in a little while. But all this lack of physicality shows up in a lot of different areas on both sides of the courts. It, it just worries me. And I know a lot of the rebuttal is going to be, but he's a good shot blocker. So as I stated before, Alexander Saar is averaging one block per game. So he has 10 total in the 10 regular season games here for the Perth Wildcats. One of the things I noted maybe like five to seven games in is I know Alexander Saar can block shots. I just don't know if he can protect the rim. Those plays that I just flagged from Melbourne United at the end of regulation where Delhi suckers him in with um, the New Zealand breaker guys. Those things to me scream like I don't yet know how to protect the rim and I'm out here chasing shots and chasing blocks, which again to me is worrisome, but it might be one of those things that it depends on what you see Sar doing. I'm really worried that it will limit him to just being a power forward. Whereas if the strength stuff, you can't handle the bigger guys down low, you don't rebound enough in your area and the paint, and then you're better at blocking shots than you are at protecting the rim, then you're going to be limited to just one position of power forward. And what I mean by like he can block shots, but he can't protect the rim. Like when you stick him in the paint, when you say, okay, your job is to get guys away from the rim. Your job is when somebody comes in here down low, you got to keep them away from the rim. I just have not seen that consistently yet. A lot of the blocks that Alexander Saar is getting is against smaller guys or chasing down guys. There are not many of them that he are getting that he is getting, excuse me, when it is another big right there at the rim. And there are either some guys too who've been able to drive it in on him and pretty much push him because again, the lack of physicality to get through his body and get to the rim. And he just isn't right, isn't there yet. As a rim protector, he's a good shot blocker. I think he's really good as like a weak side help defender kind of thing. And again, this might be long-term stuff. Not everybody's going to come in and be a great paint protector, but I think that's an important distinction to make with Alexander Sars. Yes, he can block shots, but he's not there yet as a rim protector. And that might take a long time because of the lack of physicality in there. And the other part that's really people, a lot of, a lot of people have sold Sauron is as a shooter. And man, I'm sorry. This is the one where like, I'll take all the negativity. I'll take all the, when, you know, you're a hater, blah, blah, blah. I just don't believe his shooting is going to come around anytime soon. I frame it that way. I don't believe his shooting is going to come any around anytime soon because I'm not like saying it's never going to happen. I just think it's going to take a long time. If it does, this is not somebody that you look in the profiles and it, there's things in there that make you feel great about his shooting prospects. 30%, 30.4% from three on 23 shots in these 10 games. It's not a lot. 30%. That's fine. That's not the bigger deal. Bigger deal is 51.9% from the free throw line on 27 shots. That's not a good percentage even for a big. If you pull this out even further, Alexander Saar played three games in the NBL Blitz. So technically he's played 13 games here in the NBL in those three games, Alexander Shar shot 69.2% from the free throw line on 4.3 attempts per game. Again, not fantastic. Better, not fantastic, but you put those three games in with a 10 and it's 57.5% from the free throw line. Again, not great. You go back in the profile at the FIBA U19 World Cup this last 
summer as well. Alexander Saar was 8 of 14 from the free throw line, which is 57.1% in that same tournament. Alexander Saar was 2 of 7 from 3, which is 28.6%. Not good percentages. Again, you go back last year to the OTE. Let's even go all the way back to the preseason with Alexander Saar, where Alexander Saar shot 0% from 3 in all of the preseason games. He took quite a bit of threes. He took three three-point attempts per game. You go into the regular season with the overtime elite and Alexander Saar shot 30% from three on uh, 2.7 attempts per game. And then you take it all the way into the playoffs and Alexander Saar shot 20% from three on 1.7 attempts per game there. Look at the free throw percentages as well. We go all the way back to the preseason. And what we're looking at for Alexander Sars free throw percentage, again, is 0% in the preseason last year at the overtime elite. During the season, Alexander Sar was able to shoot much better from the free throw line during the season at 65% on 2.7 attempts per game. And then in those playoffs, Alexander Sar was able to shoot 66.7% from the free throw line on one and a half attempts per game. Those aren't good numbers. None of those are good numbers to me that scream like my mechanics are good in one area. Again, broken record here. If you believe that free throw percentage says something about your shot and your prospects as a three-point shooter, there is almost nothing in Alexander Sars' profile that makes you believe, hey, he's going to shoot it from three. There's also another very important scouting bit I'm going to give later on when I talk about comps and the comps that I've heard for Alexander Saar that make me not believe in his shooting prospects. Also pay attention to the way that people guard Alexander Saar in the NBL. If you notice, they were leaving him wide open at the beginning of the season and he started knocking down threes and then they started to guard him. But even when they guard him, quote unquote, they're not hard closing out on him. They're doing more of like a soft closeout. What do I mean by soft and hard closeout? A hard closeout is when you're running full speed, you get there and you either leap or you get up right in their face. Nobody's doing that to Alex Sar with his three-point shot. What they're doing instead is like, oh, he caught the ball. I'm going to get there as quick as I can. Just get a hand up and get somewhere in his area. That's what they're doing to him. And teams, some teams are still just leaving him wide open. And while he started the season pretty well, he shot uh, something like 35% in like the first one, two, three, four, seven games, something like that. He has yet to hit. I mean, he's he's hit one three-point attempt in the last six games. The last six games, Alex Sar has gone just ice cold from three. So again, I, I don't believe in the three-point shooting. I'm not saying it's never going to come around, but none of these percentages scream that the mechanics are all that great. The way that teams are guarding him, you can tell they don't believe in his shot and it's not falling enough. In the last six games, it's just gone ice cold. Maybe it's a slump, but again, all these numbers here, they don't indicate that the shot is something that you can buy into and feel confident is going to happen anytime soon. And maybe, 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 maybe more concerning than the physicality issues are motor and inconsistency. I was first really introduced to Alexander Saar via Rafael Barlow. 
and just his coverage on him. And his main thing with Alex Sar was always motor and inconsistency of like some games you really see it fires up. He does all these great things on defense. He hits a couple threes. You know, he's active. He's running around. You're like, oh, great. And then the next game, he just lays an egg. He doesn't have the same drive. He doesn't have the same energy and all that stuff. And I think we're seeing that more again here, unfortunately. What has all this hype been built off of? It's been the two exhibition games against the G League Elite or the G League Ignite. <laughs> Uh, again, I, I hate talking about like drive and motor and like internal stuff, but look at the energy and look at the fight and everything that Alexander Sar plays with in those two games. And then look at the NBL games, like all of them as the season wears on. You just do not see that same level of energy. You don't see that same level of focus. You don't see that same level of fight that you saw in those two exhibition games. And I worry that a lot of Alexander Sar's stock is going to be sold off of those two games. Recently on the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast, James Barlow and Rafael Barlow talked about Scoot Henderson basically living off of the G League showcase games last year, where it was Wembenyama versus Scoot. Him living off of those for the entire year, and he still went number three. I kind of think that might be the case with Alex Sar too, where you're like, man, look at all this potential. And yeah, I, I understand that he played fantastically in that. But again, when I see a guy get out there on Ron Holland and stop him and hang with him athletically and run around and fight with El Mansa and these other dudes and make uh, Maras look like he doesn't want to get physical. And then you show up against New Zealand, the bottom of the barrel, one of the bottom of the barrel teams in the NBL and put zeros up and, like almost every stat line, no points, no three-pointers, no free-throw attempts, three rebounds, one assist, no steals, no blocks. Like, what's going on, man? I just that That's the part about it that's been driving me banana is I just don't see that same guy that was in those G League games in the NBL consistently. And as the season has worn on, I see less and less of that guy. But you know what? I get it. I get why people are saying this is a top five pick. I get why there are still people out there that say he's their number one prospect in 2023. Those G League Ignite games, they say something. 17 points in the first game, six of three from the field, two of three from three-point range, three of four from the free throw line, seven rebounds, one assist, one steal, six blocks. I mean, that's pretty banana stat line. And you just see him move out there and hang with all these other athletes Second game, it was even better. 26 points, 10 of 14 from the field, one of two from three-point range, five of seven from the free throw line, 10 rebounds for Alex Sar, three assists, six blocks. So you just see him move around with Ron Holland in particular. Anytime those two were lined up, it was fantastic. Ron got him a couple of times. Alex got him once or twice there. So again, I get it. And I get it in the NBL too. There are some times where just his ground coverage, Alexander Sar's ground coverage, is ridiculous where he's out guarding a point guard. He switches onto a big and then he's able to rotate over to the wing back up to the top of the key where he's able to get a contest and make somebody miss a shot. Like that's just rare stuff. You don't see that from everybody. But again, I don't see that consistently. The athleticism at the size that Alex sorry is seven one again, around 200 ish pounds. And you just don't see it. He moves like a wing, as a lot of people have said, even though he's big man size. One of the things that I feel like isn't talked about enough is he's a great passer. 
I've seen so many good reads from him. He doesn't get allowed. He's not allowed to do this a lot. But when he does get the ball like from the top of the key and drives in or when he gets the ball in the mid post or the high post, he makes the right read. He makes a perfect read every time and his passes aren't all over the place. This is one of those things that if I was selling him, it would be something that I would really lean into. It's like, look at the passing ability here. And he's just not being able to utilize this because as Rafael Barlow, as Ignacio Rosoto, anybody that covers the international game will say, as a young guy, you're normally not given minutes because you're not good enough to win yet. You're not good enough to know what a winning play is. And you're not good enough to be the focal point of an offense that will consistently get you wins. And that's part of why Alex Starr is kind of like the sixth man, fifth man role. He's first guy off the bench normally at the end of the first quarter and normally comes in in the end of the quarters. Um, but that's part of it. And again, the selling point would be like, man, look at these passes. If we give him more time, we give him more of this like mid post role or guy tagging closeouts. He's going to make the right reads here. And again, like I said, the ground coverage when he's engaged, when he's fully engaged on defense, his ability to just cover a bunch of ground at that size, seven one. I'm sure his wingspan is going to be pretty gigantic as well, like seven four, seven five around there. It, it covers a lot on defense and could be a weapon where he's able to make up for missed assignments. Especially as the weak side shot blocker, like he can come down over and do a bunch of things to mess up any drivers that come in there. And the turnaround jumper, his turnaround jumper looks legit. I've seen multiple people now compare it to Kevin Garnett's jumper, which like pumped the brakes. But again, I also see it because it looks clean. It's one of those shots that at that size with those long arms, like I don't really see anybody that could block it if it could be a thing. But as Corey Tullibo recently said on their Q&A session for No Ceilings and the Draft Act show, like, I don't know that that's something you can build a whole offensive package around. But it's nice to have that in there. And it does seem like a shot that he could get off anytime, anywhere when he wants to. And it does help mitigate the, the physicality stuff. Like I said, if he really is going to get stood up in the paint a lot, or if he really is going to have a little bit more struggles getting to the rim after backing guys down on the post and stuff like that, then the turnaround Jake can be something because it's something in the defender's mind all the time that like, oh, I'm just going to sell out for the jumper when instead of doing that, he's like doing up and unders or he's able to do more of a spin move and stuff. It's at least something in the arsenal that looks great. That is something that should be um, considered more and develop more that could develop into four or five different other things. But I mean, I put it, say all that together, the athleticism, being a great passer, turnaround, Jay looks legit. I still have all these other concerns about physicality. I'm not really sure about his, his uh, shot blocking and being a rim protector. And then I don't buy into the shooting. What exactly is his comp at this point? It's too early to say a definitive comp. So I'm not saying any of these are like set in stone and it takes a whole season for me, in my opinion, to like give an actual comparison to somebody and say, hey, after a full season, this is what I think. And this is where their skill set makes me want to go with their development. What I've heard so far, though, from the Game Theory podcast, Bryce Simon said maybe some chat in there, which, again, I can see, especially after those uh, G League Ignite showcase games where he's hitting threes. You think like, oh, yeah, the perimeter guy, he can shoot. But I'd say pump the brakes on that one, too, as well. The Corey Taliban, that Q&A session I just mentioned with Alberto Gim, Draft Act Show, uh, said probably on the level of an Evan Mobley in terms of his defensive potential. Which again, like that's a pretty high one. 
The eyebrow raising one for me, though, is Sam Vecini, who's definitely up there with like Rafael Barlow for maybe the top draft evaluator out there that's not working for an NBA team. When he and Bryce Simon went back and forth on Alex Saar after those G League Ignite games, Sam kept saying Nick Claxton, which was like, whoa, (laughs) you know, that's the first thing I've heard that's not really dependent on the jump shot that you can already read into it. Like, I don't really buy into the jump shot being something long-term. And he talked about that in that episode, which I'll try and link that in the draft deck show. And all those guys here, which I'll get to here in a minute, that have talked about SAR so far. Like that one, why I say it's the eyebrow raising one to me is like, you know what? Sam makes a good point of Claxton being like this facilitator. Some people thought he could be able to shoot coming out of Georgia and my initial reaction to that was like, do you really want Nick Claxton to be like a top five pick? And the answer is yes, of course you want Nick Claxton to be a top five pick because in his draft, like in a redraft, he probably goes top five. He came out in the 2019 NBA draft. And so far he has played. Yeah, so Nick Claxton has played 4,000 and 54 minutes so far in the NBA. And he's the second leading rebounder out of that class, right behind a guy named Zion Williamson. And you look at how that draft shook out. It was Zion and Ja at the top. That probably doesn't change. And then there's like RJ Barrett, DeAndre Hunter, Darius Garland, who are productive. Kobe White's productive. He's come around. You got Cam Johnson in there, PG Washington, Tyler Hero. Yeah, you have a Brandon Clark, Grant Williams, and then you get further down. You have Keldon Johnson, uh, Nick Claxton there. Like he's definitely in the running for being a top five because after Zion and Ja, you could make a case for a bunch of different guys. Maybe Darius Garland goes three. But after that four, do you really want like DeAndre Hunter at four? Do you want RJ Barrett at four? Do you want Tyler Hero at four? Do you want maybe a Keldon Johnson there for I mean, Nick Claxton, the very minimum is like seven or eight. And that's another thing that Sam brings up in their episode is, like, you know what? In another draft, I probably would have an Alex Sar ranked as the seventh or ninth best guy. But this is such a fluid draft where there's no clear cut number one guy. Yeah, I see him moving up into the top five, which is, again, why I say I, I, I get it. Even though I have all these concerns, and to me, I don't want to put him in the top five. I'm just going to be real with you because of the physicality stuff and the like not really knowing what the shot blocking is going to translate into if it is more of a limited role. To me, it, it, again, this is not the comp. This is not the final comp. But to me, a lot of the Alex Sar stuff reminds me of Thon Maker. Thon Maker, for those of you that don't know, was a prospect that pretty much came out of high school, one of the few, and then was drafted by the Bucks. Infamously, Kevin Garnett said he was going to be a future MVP one day, seven foot, 220, so about similar size to Alex Sar. I mean, he had all the tools, though. And at the time, you could see what KG was saying, even though it was still a wild thing to say that Don Maker is going to be an MVP one day. His jump shot looked good. He had great size and movement ability. He was able to block shots. But the, the reason why I bring up Don Maker is he was kind of... Stuck at power forward only. You couldn't really play him at center because he wasn't strong enough. 
And you really wanted that jumper to come around because there wasn't really anything else in the profile that makes you think you could be like a rim runner or a pick and roll guy. Like you needed him to be a power forward since he didn't have enough strength anchor down there, down low. And the movement skills would have worked at power forward. That's what I kept thinking anyway with Alex R as I've watched him so far. It's like, yeah, I think this is going to be another thon maker. You know, I don't see uh, all this stuff. Is too jump shot reliant. Blah, 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 all this stuff, right? But then I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? Thon Maker, again, basically came out of high school, an athlete institute in Canada, and then came straight to the Bucks. I'm like, what if Thon Maker had a full year in the NBL like Alex Sard has? And I'm like, you know what? That guy's probably a useful NBA player. And the Nick Claxton thing came back in my mind of like, yeah, he's probably closer to that then because Claxton too. Came into the NBA pretty small, if I remember. I think he was still somewhere around like 200, 210, just like our buddy Alex R here is. And he also had really good shot blocking instincts the way an Alex R does here. So I think Nick Claxton is a name to keep in mind. And it bothers me that every time there's a top five guy like you just automatically go to the hyperbole of like, oh, he's going to be Kevin Garnett. Oh, he's going to be Evan Mobley. Oh, he has to be Chet Holmgren. And it's like, no, not everybody turns out into like these guys that are top of the heap, very rare type stat line or very rare type of skill set. It just doesn't work that way in the NBA. You got to be more realistic and you got to be able to say, okay, this is what their weaknesses are. And these are things that like, you can't just keep on them like the shooting stuff here. You can't just keep that on. Alex or and say it's going to happen, but you can say, okay, the shot blocking numbers are there. And that's something even for me, the hater or skeptic, whatever you want to call, like, I can't deny it. If I deny it, then I do go into the hater territory and you got to say, okay, how can he translate into this? And then the ground coverage stuff, like the, his ability to just cover so much more on the court. How does this translate? And it can translate into something like what happens with Nick Claxton, the skinny dude who could pass Maybe he could shoot, but then you realize, you know what, let's not develop him that way. Let's stick to the defensive stuff and then keep him at center, let him bulk up a little more. And what do you know? He's one of the most efficient guys in the NBA, Nick Claxton, over 70% field goal percentage, doesn't need to take threes, one of the best shot blockers in the NBA. That could definitely be something that that comes out here. I just want people to, to know, like, Alex Orr's game is more theoretical than actual right now. It's partially due to the role in the team. That's something I haven't really touched on a lot because it's like out of your control too. And it, it starts to veer in the territory of like criticizing the coach and stuff, which to me is ridiculous. I'm just some dude. I can't be criticizing a, a professional coach, but I can say, okay, the, the role that they're asking Alex Orr to play in is not going to give him the ability to showcase the passing stuff. It's not going to give him the ability to showcase like what he could do with the ball in his hands more that kind of stuff. They want him to do screening. They want him to do DHO stuff, which he's also pretty good at. And they want him to do more of these things that fit into a role. And it's not going to show off every last single thing that he can do. But the lack of physicality and the motor stuff should be very concerning going forward. Again, it's just 10 games. 10 games is my initial thoughts of like, okay, this is where I see this guy. This is the things I see him do consistently. And also the things that I'm like, man, you got to work on that. Definitely look at the physicality stuff. Like once he gets into the paint, is he stood up a lot? How well can he rebound when he's in the paint or in the restricted area? How well can he block shots against guys that are bigger and stronger than him? 
when he's in the painter in the restricted area and how well can he get shots off and try and dunk when there's a bigger dude there on him in the paint and the restricted area. And then the motor stuff again, like the motor, it's got to, it can be hot and cold because that's part of the reason why a lot of people had Alex Saar rated a lot lower than they did coming into the year is because you just saw it go up and down. We need to see that guy that was in that G League showcase more. I don't care that you're only playing 12 minutes. I still need to see you get out there and be that athletic dude that hangs with Ron Holland and that just frustrates Maras from wanting to go inside. That stuff has to come back. And there's so many people, again, that are saying, oh, a bad draft, blah, 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 which, again, it's like, it's ridiculous. I, I don't like that label. I understand there's not the highly rated guy. There's not the guy that's been the clear-cut guy for a long time. Fluid. I keep saying it's a fluid draft. We don't know who's going to be number one. There are camps emerging here and there. And in a fluid draft, you want to gamble on upside, right? I mean, Cleveland did it back in 2013. Unfortunately, they gambled on the wrong upside guy. Milwaukee did the same thing, only theirs turned out pretty good. And it's not just Giannis that's changed scouting. I'm sure there's other guys along the way that that's made people rethink this of like, you know, oh, we don't need to necessarily say the stats. Then now we don't necessarily need to say, oh, look at the body type right now. But like, hey, in a few years, what is this going to end up looking like? I get that part. I just think at number one, there's still a lot of things to me that scream like, oof, nah, I can't do it. And even Claxton, like I just laid out, sure, he could be top five in that redraft. But I'm sure there are people out there that probably still want like a Kelton Johnson that still say mm, Darius Garland's volume three-point shooting is probably more a thing that we need right now. I, I get it. You know, fluid draft, you want to bet on upside, right? It just depends what kind of upside do you think. And do you think that Alex Sorg could be more than a Nick Claxton, which would be fine, in my opinion? And, you know, what's going on? I will try to link all the guys that I laid out here. And one that I forgot to mention here, which is uh, Tyler Metcalf of No Ceilings, also did an Alex Sarr video breakdown. He does a great job of showing, like, the ground coverage and the defensive potential um, within there. So this is part of this greater conversation. I don't want this just to be... You know, my own, you know, pump the brakes on Alex Starr thing, but it's an ongoing conversation. Thanks to guys like, you know, Raphael Barlow, James Barlow. Thanks to the guys over the draft deck, Corey Tulliba and all of them, Sam Vecini, Bryce Simon. You know, it's part of this conversation. And if you want to get a better idea on any prospect, you've got to figure out who the other guys talking about him and see their perspective on things like this, because Alex Starr is a great ball of clay. There's a lot left to be developed there. And a lot of basketball left to be played in the NBL. So, yeah, thank you so much for hanging out with us here, talking about Alex Sar, And we will catch you next time. Bonnet.